Hey friends, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel. Have you ever felt unseen as you searched for a community to belong to? That's exactly what we are digging into with our guests on today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Rachel Gilbert and I'm a therapist on a mission to bridge the gap between faith and therapy. Tune in on Mondays for short talk therapy episodes, always under 20 minutes. And every other Wednesday, we share guest interviews with people I hand select to speak into your life. Stick around until the end of today's show for a short segment where I share counselor-proof strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. Before we jump in to today's episode, I want to read a sweet review a reader of Image Restored left on Amazon. Here's what she says. I found the author's podcast and have binged just about every episode, so I figured her book had to be just as amazing. I was right. I'm only on chapter three and I'm blown away. The way she ties together faith and body image and taking care of ourselves as the temple of God is incredible. Hands down, best book I have owned or read thus far, aside from the Word of God. And again, I'm only on the third chapter. Can't wait to get through the whole book. Do yourself a favor and get this book ASAP. You will not regret it. Well, thank you to that sweet reviewer. And if you are listening to this and you don't have a copy yet, go to imagerestoredbook.com and learn more. Well, here's a little bit more about today's guest. As the wife of a former NFL player, Katie McCown knows how it feels to yearn for a sense of belonging. Spending time alone in new unknown cities as part of her husband's profession, Katie often searched for women to connect and build community with, but often felt unseen and unfulfilled. Katie's a writer for Proverbs 31 Ministries, host of the Best Day Ever podcast, and author of She Smiles Without Fear. Luke and Katie have six children and reside on a ranch in Texas. Please help me welcome my friend Katie to the show. Well, hello, Katie. Welcome back. Hi, Rachel. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I was, before we recorded, I was looking up. This is your second time on my show. And for the listener, if you would like to go back and listen, it was episode 102. We were talking about She Smiles Without Fear. And now we're talking about She Belongs, and this is your most recent book that just released as we're recording, like two days ago, mm-hmm. you said? Yeah, two, three days yeah. ago, something like this week. Yeah. Let's say this week. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We'll, we'll cover it with this week. So we're, we are here. The book is out. And I, I, before we actually jump into what we're going to talk about today, tell the listener something I would maybe not have read about you in your bio. Well, I don't think it's in my bio that I have a twin sister. And so, I mean, that's a huge part of my life. And it's so funny because even, you know, right, we don't live in the same city and, uh, and she is still my best friend, you know, outside of my husband, she is the one who knows all the things in my life. But it's funny because so many people know me in context of not knowing her and so it's it's a really funny thing that's such a huge part of my life that isn't something that I always talk about, that I have an identical twin sister. Uh, yeah, I kind of remember that now. And didn't you say, does she have brown hair or something? She does. Okay. She, we have different haircuts. Okay. So she has long hair and it's it's very dark. And then I have shorter hair that's lighter. So it's not hard to tell us apart right now. But if you look at us in the face, you can tell. Yeah. 
That's fun. I love that fun fact. All right, so let's go back to She Belongs, and here is what the subtitle is, Finding Your Place in the Body of Christ. So I always love to hear from authors, what led you to write on this topic? And it's funny that you say that because I, you know, I have to say this was not my idea. This was 100% God's idea. It was nowhere on my radar. And even as I was going through the process where, you know, my publisher was asking me, did I have another idea? And God was putting this on my heart. And so I was faithful to at least communicate it as an idea, but the whole way through it was like, but if they don't like it, it's totally fine, you know? (laughs) So I really began this journey because I wanted to say yes to where God was leading me. But the truth is, I didn't think I was the right one to write on the subject because to me, I felt like my journey with just people in general was a little bumpy. You know, (laughs) I have always kind of been a do it yourself girl. And, you know, those phrases, I've got this. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have said that a time or two. And I've probably, maybe said it out loud, maybe only thought in my head, but just felt like sometimes things are easier if you'll just do it on your own. That trying to do life with other people can complicate it or at the very least slow you down. And so I didn't know why God would want me to be the vessel for this topic. But as I communicated the idea and the doors continued to open, what really began to happen in my heart was this shift from, oh, I'm going to have to learn about this and study about this to hope. Because what I began to realize even before I dove into the topic is that I had, I had kind of lived a lot of my life really just handling it, right? Just, just handling life. And that was kind of the goal, just to get it handled. You know, if if you are just meeting me for the first time, I have six kids. And when they were little, we homeschooled them and we moved like 12 times in 13 years. So I was just handling it. And I felt really good about handling it. And I felt like that was the goal. And I felt good for, you know, in, in some way, shape or form, feeling like my life was handled. But as I began to surrender to writing about belonging in the body of Christ, to studying that and then teaching about it, I really felt this hope that there's a difference between a life that's handled and a life that is whole and that a life that is whole is attainable and God has given us what we need to live that kind of life. And I began to really anticipate all that he had to teach me and to teach others on the subject. Okay, I love this so much because most people by now know this about me. That was pretty much the reason I didn't want to write a book on body image initially because I'm like, uh, have you seen the situation over here, Lord? Like, you know, like, <laughs> have you seen the behind the scenes? And he's like, yes. And that's exactly why I'm choosing you mm-hmm. because you get it. Like you can speak to the pain points and you can speak to all the, the other side. And so I, I love that so much. And then the phrase that you just said, 
handled versus whole. You didn't say the verses, but I just wrote it down that way. Can you delve more into that? Because I know there's people listening who are going, that's me too. I can totally mm-hmm. relate to that. Of It is just feels easier to just do this thing on my own. And what does that practically look like? Like as you dove in, obviously for the purpose initially of writing the book, but then also then you learned for yourself along the way, what has shifted in your own life there? Mm-hmm. So I remember when I was young and to me, the, the greatest example that I have of handling my life was when I was like, you know, a teenager or a preteen. And I was on the ski slopes that I had never been on before, but I was like, I've got this. And then I, I attempted to go down the mountain on my own. And Oh, by the way, I have no sense of direction. And that includes mountains that I've never been on. And so I always got off course. I always got on the wrong slope that was way too hard for me. And I had this whole horrible journey down the mountain, which included like tumbling head over heels. And then I finally ended up on another wrong slope alone. Oh, my mom and my sister were on the same mountain. I just didn't have any interest in, in doing it with them. Cause I, you know, I've got this and I ended up just laid out on a slope because I'd gone the wrong way again and I couldn't go up and I couldn't go down. So I just laid there and all these people just passed me by. I don't know if they thought I was taking a nap or just resting. I don't know. And then finally, the twin sister I talked about earlier, she came by and she saw me and was like, what in the world are you doing? And I was like, I need help. I'm in trouble. And we kind of formed this ladder with our with our poles and I climbed up and she rescued me. And I did, in fact, go the rest of the way down the mountain with her. And we did make it down the mountain. And so that's kind of my funny example of me attempting to handle life all on my own. You know, it's a little bit like that. I just kind of fumble around and then get back up. And I I just kind of have these phrases that have gone over and over in my mind throughout my life. Like I'll figure it out. I'll catch up when I'm falling behind. I'll keep going when it all falls apart. And it's just this rhythm of I've got this, I'll figure it out. I'll catch up. I'll keep going. And you just circle back through these over and over and over. And, you know, that's kind of a funny example, but it happens in real life. And so like real life, I mean, I I remember having my six children and they were all young. I think my, they ranged in an age from maybe one to nine. And we had, we had moved yet again. And I was just feeling especially alone in this particular season of life. And it was Christmas and uh, just long story short, the Christmas tree fell down the whole thing. (laughs) It was up with the ornaments on and the water in the base and the, and the star on the top. And the children were playing with the cat and the cat took refuge in the tree. And then the kids followed the cat into the tree. And now the, the, the entire tree was on the floor and all of the ornaments were broken and the lights were burst and it didn't light up anymore. And then this star had just kind of flown across the room and it was all by itself over there. And I just remember looking at that mess and the star all by itself over there thinking, that's me. Like there's this thing and it's supposed to be beautiful and it's supposed to represent joy and the hope we have in Jesus. And it's supposed to be bright and shining. And this is how my life feels, though. It feels like this pile of pieces and me all alone with no purpose. And and as I sat in that moment and began to consider 
the subject of belonging in the body of Christ, I think that ultimately that's where we will land when we try to do life on our own. You know, the way I say it is that our quest to keep it together will eventually cause us to fall apart. And then when we get to that place, we don't really feel like there's a way out. We think, how could I ever move towards belonging? And I think all of us are, you know, probably someplace on this journey, whether we're still, you know, keeping it together and catching up and figuring it out, or whether we are looking at our life in thinking it's just a pile of pieces and I am alone and purposeless. Uh, but we all wonder if there's a path to belonging from there. And was so amazing to me was to learn that belonging actually begins with brokenness. And you would never think that, but it does. And and the reason why is because if we're willing to admit it, we all share a common brokenness. We all have that in common and we never talk about it. (laughs) We want to talk about all the other things we have in common, but the reality is every single one of us have brokenness in common. We probably have broken circumstances in common We might not have broken experiences in common, but what we do all have in common is that we're all sinners who live in a sinful world. And therefore we all share a common brokenness. And if we can just start there, belonging gets a lot simpler because we're not trying to figure it out or fix it all or duct tape ourselves back together so that we'll be acceptable for belonging. We're simply stating that I'm broken and you're broken. And because we all have a common brokenness, we all have a common need for a savior. We all have a common need for a healer. And because God sent his one and only son, we all have access to that healer and to that savior. So our common brokenness leads us to Jesus. And then we share Jesus in common. And that's where belonging begins. I love how upside down this is from sometimes what you think about with belonging and community. Because yes. uh, so often you think of, well, once I pull myself all together, then I will belong. That's going to be the thing that makes me belong. When mm-hmm. really what you just said is so powerful. Of I've, I've actually never thought of that, that one thing we all have in common is our brokenness. Like that's really powerful. And honestly, that feels very, even just the moment you said that, I felt connected to you, but even just to other people, realizing even the people we think, oh, we don't really have anything in common. You know, we don't share the same interest or whatever. You're like, wait, no, we do. We we have a very fundamental thing that is in common and that does connect us and does help us to see each other. And then it makes me think it makes, if we recognize that, it makes it, to where I feel like I would want to show up in community despite my brokenness, you know? Mm -hmm, I do. And I think you're so right because I think that's one of our hurdles toward to belonging is like, I think we naturally define belonging. Like, you know, when we were trying to get into a middle school club, you know? And so it's this like, well, who looks the part or, 
we we actually we we think of belonging as like a uniformity and so then we compare whatever it is like well i you know my my hair is not the same color or the same length or i don't dress the same way or i don't go shop at the same stores or whatever and that's where we begin with belonging but in christ in belonging in the body of christ it is i love how you said it it's upside down it's backwards it's it's not at all that yeah that's so beautiful okay so I also want to circle back to how you were talking about how you are a, you know, get it done person, which in some, not just some, in many ways, that's an awesome thing. And I actually can relate to that. I wasn't really that way growing up, but I think there's something about becoming a mom, like forces you to become that way a little bit. (laughs) Like I was like, okie dokie, I guess if this is going to happen, it's, you know, I got to get this done. And so in some ways that can be a good thing, but then you always also talk about how then it can be dangerous. Like that, you know, to just, that's all we do. Like, just like you said, I'm only relying on myself. Like I'm not relying Mm -hmm. on anybody else. What are some of those signs that we can recognize and really even what is the biggest danger in continuing down that way? Let me share this. It's something I actually learned over the summer as, you know, we, we considered this idea of I've got this, and I'm with you, Rachel, like it, it, and it is important to say there's nothing wrong with, with perseverance, yeah. endurance. Like I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's when we think I'll just handle it and I don't need anybody else. That's when we get into situations. Um, so here's my example, my family. So we're a family of eight, my husband, me and our six children. And we had gone to this family camp over the summer in the mountains in Colorado. And there was this super fun thing where you could do a sunrise hike. And um, I say it with that, with that tone, because it was not my idea. And I don't know why my entire family wanted to do it. But it came to the point where it was like, I would be the only one in the family not doing it. So I felt like I had to do it. And I was just like, I cannot believe we are getting up at 3am to hike up a mountain in the dark so we can see the sunrise. But that's what they all wanted to do. So that's what we did. So it's 3 a.m. It is dark. I You don't want to drink coffee because they don't have bathrooms on the trail. So here we are hiking up the mountain. But it was, of course, an adventure, you know. So in those early morning hours, and you know, we had headlamps and we'd never done anything like this before. And so while I was a little bit of a grump, everybody was super excited to be doing this. And it was steep and it was dark and it was a hike for sure but everybody was having fun and different ones went at different paces because we have some older kids and we have some younger ones and and so we were just kind of spread out on the trail everybody a little bit doing their own thing but after two and a half hours of hiking and we were getting near the top of the mountain and it was just about time for sunrise what happened is that everybody realized kind of all at one time that we were hungry and tired and still had to go all the way back down. And the attitude that we had on our way up changed because it wasn't fun anymore. And we were suddenly aware of how difficult this was on our physical bodies and how much was left to go. I mean, it was so sweet for me to watch my children's response because what they did is they found each other and they went down together 
So while we were on the way up and everything was fun and nothing seemed really difficult, it was all just fun. They spread out and they did their own thing. But when they realized how hard it was, without even knowing it, they realized they needed each other and they packed up and they went the rest of the way together. And so after we had finished that hike and I had had multiple cups of coffee and a warm breakfast, I started reflecting back over <laughs> what had happened. And I real that it was, it was then that I realized it's so much like our journey of life. We may not know the time and the place when it's going to get difficult, but when it does, it will be very important who we have with us. And if we're going at it alone, if we're just handling our life all on our own and it gets difficult, we won't have that support system around us. Or if we have the wrong people on the trail with us that won't go with us when it gets hard, it it makes a big difference. And so I think about, I've even had this conversation with other women because, you know, it may not even be that we, we think we're trying to handle life all on our own. We're just busy. Maybe we don't have time. You know, we don't feel like we have time to invest in belonging and community, but there will come a time when we need it. And on the flip side, there'll come a time when someone needs us. And if we are off doing life all on our own, we won't be available in those moments when others need us and we won't have them available for us when we need them. Yeah. Ooh, I love that visual. So powerful. I'm a very visual person in my family. We, we are hikers. So I appreciated that story. That's why I love a good physical exertion because like you're regretting life decisions in the moment, but then afterwards, like you learn all these valuable lessons. You learn and, something. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Rachel, practically like for the woman who's like, but I do have all these things, you know, there are practical ways just going back to that example of the hike. I mean, just do what you're already doing with someone else. So, you know, if you are walking for exercise, who can you ask to walk with you? Or I even had a friend talk about she did laundry with a friend. Now, that's a little bold yeah. like to let somebody into your laundry room, you know. And I would say you probably want to ask how many kids they have if you're going to do this because nobody wants to be my laundry buddy. But what she said they would do is like they both had laundry. And so they'd go to one house one day and they'd help fold the laundry of whoever that was. And then they'd go to the other house another day of the week and and help fold that laundry. And I thought you know, we're all going to do laundry or, you know, maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you can go to the grocery store at the same time as somebody, or if you're going to the same place, you can ride in the same vehicle, but we don't always have to feel like we have to find space for like another thing in our lives. If we'll just be more available to do what we're already doing with others, that can be a first step. Oh, I love how practical that is. And I very much agree with that. Cause I think that sometimes we try to force community. And it's like, wait, hold on. You want me to drive an hour away to go do this thing? And you're talking, it's going to be three hours of my day by the time I get back. Well, that's not practical for me to keep up on a regular basis. But I love that exactly like what you just said. It's just, yeah, invite people into what you're already doing. That's true Mm -hmm. community right there. I love that. Let's talk for a second to the person listening who's like been hurt by -hmm. community. Because this is, as we know, very real, very... Yeah, just real. And um, mm-hmm. I know there are rep- 
listeners represented, my, I myself have been hurt in community. Can you speak into that for us? Yeah. And so I think it's always important to acknowledge the difference between hurt from just the common things that happen in relationships and trauma or abuse. Those are different things. And so when I talk about it, I am not talking to the person who has experienced church trauma or abuse. That is different and that requires different care and handling. And so that would be something, if that's you, I would just encourage you to find a trusted Christian counselor that you can talk to and process through and get um, guidance there. So I am not speaking to that person um, because that is that is a different thing than just the hurt that comes from being let down. You feel like someone deceived you or, you know, you trusted them with something and and they weren't somebody they didn't handle it the way you had hoped they would. You know, maybe they said something about you or you felt misunderstood. You know, those things happen in all relationships and they're going to happen in the church, too, you know, uh, because they're sinners in the church and we're all on different growth patterns. So there will be different levels of maturity And there will be some that should be mature enough to know and still didn't do what they were supposed to do. So that is real in the church. And I talk about this because She Belongs is based on Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul wrote Ephesians 4. And there is a chapter or there is a section in the book of Acts that talks about Paul and Barnabas. And the way the Bible says it is they had a sharp disagreement, which ended up in them going separate ways. And so Paul and Barnabas were both followers of Jesus, living on mission for Jesus, who had gone to and traveled together, sharing the gospel to lots of different places. And they had gone through a lot of things together. They had been threatened and beaten and rejected. And then they had also witnessed, you know, people come to faith in Christ. And they had all these just amazing moments of watching God move and work among people. I mean, they had done some big life things together as they lived on mission together for Jesus. And then we have what the Bible describes as a sharp disagreement and they split ways. And I think it's Sometimes we read stuff like that in the Bible. We just read it and move on. But this is so human. I mean, you've got to think about if you had had been with somebody in such deep relationship and work side by side with somebody and gone through the things they went through and to disagree in such a deep way that you couldn't do it together anymore. There had to be a feeling of loss there. I mean, that was like my pal that like we did this together and we're not doing it together anymore. And I just feel like there had to be, there had to be hurt. There had to be disappointment. They had to feel misunderstood. They had to think, how can you not see what I'm saying? Like those, those things had to be there. But what is really sweet that happened, and I actually read the way one researcher put it, and I hope I get this right, (laughs) but their disagreement didn't lead to the destruction of the message. Their separation didn't 
destroy the work, they separated for the sake of the work, which is interesting because we think that we're supposed to figure it all out and fix it all. There's that word again, and then get along together. But what, what they were saying is that the separation there was actually for the benefit of the gospel. So they, they sharply disagreed and they separated, but they both still went on mission to spread the gospel. And, you know, we don't have anywhere recorded where Paul was talking all bad about Barnabas. And can you even believe what he, there, it, there doesn't seem to be this fallout of gossip and them trying to get people to pick sides and form like Paul's group here and Barnabas's group there. It, that wasn't the case. So somehow they completely disagreed about how to proceed. And yet by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, And the goal of growing up into the head of the body, who is Christ, they separated and continued to live on mission for Jesus. So I just want to encourage whoever's listening that feels like you've been hurt and that somehow that means you can't belong in the body of Christ. That's just not the example that we get from scripture. You even see Paul, what does he say that he confronted Peter to his face? And he's, I think he even used a stronger word than confronted. But there was confrontation between godly men in the Bible and, and there was disagreement, but it didn't, they didn't leave the body of Christ or retreat because of it. They handled the confrontation in one way or another. They practiced forgiveness. Sometimes they separated, but they all still agreed on Jesus. And agreeing on Jesus was enough for them to remain in community and press into it and continue to preach it in community in the body of Christ. And so for me, practically, Some of the things that I, because I was kind of someone with conflict in the body of Christ, I was just a little bit like, I would kind of go forget it. Like, I just won't talk to that person. It'll be easier that way, you know, but practically over time, some things that God has taught me is three questions that I like to ask when these things happen. Uh, One, what about this is between me and God? Because sometimes whatever's going on in my heart isn't really about the other person, what they did or said. It's about something that needs to be addressed between me and God. So what about this is between me and God? And what about this is between them and God? Because there are also some things that God's not looking to me to handle. He is going to need to address that with them. And it's really my place to pray for them in that space. And then the third question is, what needs to happen between me and them so that God is glorified? And if we can approach it that way, and in She Belongs, I do have seven scriptures about handling conflict in the body of Christ that can also build this out a little bit. But those three questions have helped me process some frustrations or conflict with other believers and help me take steps towards what to do next. Katie, I so appreciate how practical this is. My listeners know I love practical. um, And I love biblical too. I love that you were able to go, hey, this is where we can find this in the Bible. You know, this has happened obviously before. I think sometimes we can think, man, I'm the only one who's experienced this. And then uh, not only have other, you know, people in our current life have experienced it, but also we see it in the Bible. And then to just take it practically. And, you know, the the theme I saw there, because even as you were talking about how they, they put the message 
Like they still moved the message forward, even though the relationship ended and split, the message didn't end and split. And and then when I hear that, and then I also pair it with the questions that you encourage people to ask when they're going through something like this, it comes back to that trust in God even, you know, just like the, hey, Lord, I don't understand what's happening here. My heart is hurting, but I trust you. And while this relationship might be coming to an end, my faith in the Lord isn't and my faith in that wherever he's taking me and then them, and if it's not together, it's for a reason. Like he sees what's happening. And as long as I don't let it shut down my heart. And I think that's what I love about the questions that you ask here is it keeps us from letting our hearts harden in that time, mm-hmm. because we see that is very common when we go through things like this mm-hmm. of like, we start hardening our hearts and then those hardened hearts obviously affect a lot of areas of our life, but especially the ability to even enter into new relationships. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I just love, love these, these things. Okay. So I want to wrap up with one question for you. And it is that you actually talked about that you lost your dad a few years ago and you've cherished the last words that he shared with you. Um, and then you, like compare that to Jesus' last words and how we can hold on to those. You mind sharing us or telling us about those two things? Yeah. So uh, it's been almost three or it's been a little more than three years since my dad passed. And I do. I mean, I still remember vividly his, some of his last words and, and what I realized I did with those last words from my dad, I cherished them certainly, but what really happened in my heart was those last words became and remained a filter for me that I kept going back to and I would ask myself, am I doing this? Am I doing what he asked me to do with his last words? Because if you've ever been in a situation where you're sitting with a loved one and they know and you know that these may be some of the last words that are shared, they say what's most important to them. They say what they want you to know after they're gone. They want to make sure that you know the things that are most important to them for you to know. And so that's what my dad did. And he asked me to do two things. He asked me to take care of my mom. And he asked me not to be sad. And I can remember, you know, those days when you just want to, you just miss them so bad. And I can remember, and not that there's anything wrong with grief. (laughs) And my sister was like, dad, we're going to be sad. (laughs) But I remember those days where sometimes I just felt like I could sit there all day and, and miss him. And then I would think dad didn't want me to be sad. And so I would stand up and take a deep breath and wash my face if I needed to and keep going and try to remember him with joy and be thankful for the father that he was to me during his time on earth. And I will go days where I remembered, he said, take care of your mom. And I'll think, okay, when's the last time I talked to mom? I need to call her. Right. So they didn't just impact my words where I remember them and think that's nice. They are guideposts almost like, am I doing this? And I check in with that. Okay. So then after, as I'm studying for this Bible study, I come to John chapter 17 and the beginning of John chapter 18, it starts Jesus's betrayal, arrest and crucifixion. So John chapter 17 records some of Jesus's last words before he went to the cross. And what we find in John 17 is that Jesus was praying to his heavenly father and three times 
he prayed for his disciples to be one. Depending on what translation you use, you know, you could call it to be, you know, to be unified, unity for his disciples. And as I realized in the wake of what I learned from my own earthly father's last words, and then to go to Jesus's last words and, and to find out like, this is what was on his heart. This is what was on his heart in his final moments on earth before his crucifixion. He was praying for his disciples and praying for them to be one in Christ. I mean, that's what I call like a game changer for me, whether it feels complicated or whether it feels frustrating or whether it feels easier not to pursue belonging in the body of Christ. It is what was on my savior's heart just before he died on the cross for me. And I love him. And I want to do what was important to him. I want to honor that. I want to remember it. And I want to ask myself, am I doing this? Am I being one with other disciples of Jesus? And if I'm not, what do I need to do so that I am pursuing the heart, what was on my Savior's heart just before he died on the cross? Okay, listeners, I might need you to back up, hit the little 15 second thing back and re-listen to what Katie just said, because that was powerful, Katie. I mean, that was anointed. This whole episode has been anointed, but that piece right there, especially, I feel like you just gave us marching orders, you know, like, like you were like, Hey, this is, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm never going to forget that, that illustration there. And I want my listeners to lean into that because that was so powerful. And such a great perspective because we do live in a world that, you know, we can get sidetracked extremely easy about what we're supposed to be doing and why does this matter and can sometimes get a little selfish at times and a little me focused and all the things, right? All mm-hmm. the things that cause us confusion. And that mm-hmm. just simplified it. So, mm-hmm. so simple. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. <laughs> there it is. Mm-hmm. What did what did Jesus want us to do? And oh my goodness, that's so good. All right. So before we go, where can the listeners connect? Because I know they heard you today and they're going, all right, I need to hear more from her and I want to read her book. Where can they find you? So katiemccowan.com is my website. I am most active on Instagram. So that's at Katie McCowan. Um, shebelongsbiblestudy.com will take you straight to where you can buy the Bible study. So that's shebelongsbiblestudy.com. But yeah, I'd love to connect with you on my website or on Instagram. Perfect. And those links will be in today's show notes as well. Well, thank you again for taking time to come on the show today. Thank you for having me, Rachel. It's been a blessing. It is time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show where we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps that you can implement into your life right now. And, you know, Katie and I, we discussed quite a bit on today's episode. And of course, we were focused on that community. And, you know, we touched on some past pain points when it comes to relationships. And I don't know about you listening here today, but I will just share that that has been something that if I am not aware of it has kept me from entering into community. And that is pain from past hurts and friendships and relationships. And it's just something we have to be aware of. And, you know, as I was preparing for this part of the episode, 
it made me think about, I wrote an article, I don't know how long ago it's been, but it is on my website. If you are interested in reading it, we'll link it here in the show notes. And the title of this article is called The One Thing That Will Devastate Any Relationship. And I'm sharing this from both a personal and a professional perspective. And, you know, it does not require you to be a counselor to recognize that there is a very common theme when we look at relationships and we see how they ended up ending, whether it's a friendship, I definitely see this a lot in marriage counseling, um, but just across the board and again, even in my own life, a very common theme that I see when a relationship ends is resentment. And this is a one letter word, but it packs a powerful punch that can bring any relationship crashing down. And the thing about resentment, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a slow fade that makes you wake up one day and ask, what happened? In fact, resentment is defined as bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. You see, at the root of resentment is bitterness. And that's just another heart posture that slides in under the radar for a long time before we realize it's even there. And I actually decided to look up the definition of this, and it says that bitterness is anger and resentment that, because they have not been handled properly, harden. And that actually comes from the Practical Encyclopedia of Christian Counseling. And I want you to notice, because it wasn't properly handled, they hardened. See, the bitterness and anger and resentment aren't actually what causes the hardened heart. It's when they're not handled that the heart becomes hardened. And again, like I mentioned, I've watched my own friendships and in other relationships, I've noticed that relationships crumble all because I have and we allow that silent resentment to go unnoticed in our hearts. So I want to give you two practical things here in this little final part of this episode that I want to leave you with. And the first one is watch out. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, it's really quite simple. It's a simple act of checking our heart routinely for bitterness and resentment. But here, take it one step further. Be brave and allow trusted family and friends to speak into your life. Ask them if they notice either of those traits in you and then listen with an open heart. But, you know, back to the topic of today's episode, that sense of belonging in the body of Christ, this is why we need each other. We need those healthy and safe places that we can say, hey, can you show me, can you speak into my life in this area? So watch out is the first thing I want you to remember. The second thing I want you to remember, work it out. Now, did you notice how that definition I read to you earlier, a bitterness was anger and resentment not properly handled. It is crucial to deal with situations and words spoken that hurt your heart. Most people don't want to get bitter. I don't know anybody who just decides, I want to be a bitter person. No, it's just an unhealthy way that we've chosen to deal with pain. 
So instead of giving space for that pain to harden in your heart, take it to God. Seek the help of a pastor or a Christian counselor, especially if this process feels overwhelming to do it alone. Okay, let me pray. Father, I thank you for every single person who is sitting under the sound of my voice. Thank you that community and belonging was your idea. Thank you that belonging begins with us belonging in you, having our identity in you first and foremost. And Lord, I ask that for each of us here, that our community is an overflow of the belonging we have in you. Whoever's listening right now who just feels lonely, who's been searching for that belonging, I pray that you send that to them. I also just pray for every one of us, myself included, you highlight any resentment or bitterness or hardened hearts. Soften our hearts so we can deal with that pain. May we just bring you that pain and lay it at your feet right now. Restore, redeem, and reconcile relationships. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, as a quick reminder, if you haven't left a review for the show, please do so. Wherever you listen to your podcast, I love reading those reviews. Well, I pray that this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I will see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.